What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I'm Jack Vita, back here in action for another fun episode of the Jack Vita Show on the first day of June 2023. It's a Thursday. We're going to talk some ball today. We're also going to talk some life and some faith. We'll see. Maybe this ends up being split into two separate episodes, depending on how things go. Um, but we're going to have a very fun time today. Last week, we spoke with Rhett Bollinger, all things Los Angeles Angels. Next week, Jim Callis will be joining us also from MLB.com. And uh, this week, joining us today is a um, someone who I was very blessed to meet out at spring training. Turns out we have a lot in common, a lot of the same values. Really all, I should say. We share... We share a strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, a love for baseball, and someone who who has just an amazing story with his life and his career, and we'll get into that later, but he's also extremely knowledgeable about the game of baseball. He lives out in Denver, does a lot of Rocky stuff, but also covers some national baseball stuff as well for MLB.com. Please welcome Manny Randawa. Hey. Jack, thanks for having me on, man. It's uh, it's a pleasure, and it was great to meet you down in Arizona and just talk since then, since spring training, and um, I really enjoyed it and uh, look, was looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Um, it's cool how God works like that and yeah, just kind of puts people in your lives, and it was just funny because we had a sh- – we won't uh, – without going into too much detail, but we had a little interaction where I made mention of a Christian, Christian outlet, and actually – well, I could say the outlet. I'll say it. Um, I made mention – to someone in we were talking in the locker room and I made mention of sports spectrum, which by the way, people should go and check that out. If they haven't, they do a great job uh, featuring Christians in the world of sports, hearing their faith stories run by Jason Romano, a friend of both of ours, a great guy. And Manny just, I, I hadn't met Manny before. I wasn't familiar with his work. He wasn't familiar with me at all. But we're, I made mention of Sports Spectrum, and he's like, hey, I, I went on that podcast. I, I shared my story on there, and we ended up bonding over faith and then talking ball, and it was just a really cool time. It was fun, man. It was really good. And uh, like you said, the Lord, uh, you know, the way he works, you know, a lot of uh, – we talked about this too. A lot of people are wrapped up in, you know, miracles and wonders and signs and trying to, you know, you know, they believe that these things are happening and through people and – touch and healing and things like that where you know what the real miracle is providence of god i mean the real miracle is when you see the things that the lord weaves together within the natural laws of the world um and the universe and physics and everything else and makes things weave together to to have his will done and to have what he wants to happen happen and and even in just our interactions and meeting people other believers and brothers and sisters in christ those are those are those are the real kind of miracles that happen in that and 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 when we met you know that's the thing we talked about sports you mentioned sports spectrum boom we started talking about it we were talking in the break room about you know uh faith and and our our life experiences and here we are and so the lord works in in wonderful ways and uh any how anyone can believe it's all by accident is beyond me (laughs) amen amen so uh, we'll dig deeper into that later on we got to talk some ball though to kick things off yeah for sure so Manny, of course, is very plugged into the Colorado Rockies. I met him at Rockies camp, although, of course, he also is covering things on a national level as well. But let's let's get started here, and I want to talk some National League West. 
Um, and let's start with the Rockies. The Rockies right now actually have the worst record in the National League. They're 24-33. and 33. I just did my second edition of my power rankings on Inside the Phillies. Go get, Guys, check those out every Monday morning. We've got our power rankings and notes. Um, I, I actually had the Rockies not as the worst team in the National League when I created those rankings because they've been having a weird little seesaw run here where they got just totally obliterated by Texas. But then uh, I can't even remember. They, they beat the Mets. I think they took that series against the Mets. Um, and then they were playing the Marlins, and they looked pretty good against the Marlins. So what what do we make of this Rockies team? That is the uh, that is the $6 million question or the <laughs> $64 million question or, in Chris Bryant's case, the $182 million question. <laughs> Um, and which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it ties yeah. in. So the Rockies are always weird. Um, they've been that way for years and years and years. Um, number one, it go, really goes back to where they play here in Denver. It's, um, you know, the altitude really does present a really big challenge for, uh, major league baseball in, in, uh, in this place because, you know, to, to figure out how to win, you know, and, and it's evidenced by all the different things that they've tried to do over the last, you know, 30 years that they've been in existence. A lot of out-of-the-box ideas, kind of crazy ideas that they've tried, and they've tried to go with a free agent route. They tried to go draft and develop. But, you know, nothing's really ever worked aside from a crazy run in 2007 that probably doesn't – you played the, that series of 22 games 100 times, and you don't get that result, same result 99 times, you know, so – I think um, they are right now searching for an identity after the um, the departures of Arenado and Story and um, you know and, and Lemayhew and it's just they're not what they were you know five six years ago they had a window right they had Charlie Blackman in his prime they had DJ Lemayhew Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado on the same infield and they couldn't get it done because they didn't add around the those guys and now they're trying to search for an identity and it's really their hopes are wrapped around in the next generation uh, players. So T Ezekiel Tovar, you know, um, Brenton Doyle, guys you see some of the names you're seeing uh, with the major league team now, um, you know, it, it's um, it, it's a really depending on what they're they're going to have with these guys. Michael Tolio, uh, Luis Montero, uh, you know, Brendan Rogers out for the season. Uh, Brendan Rogers is out for the season because he had a shoulder injury in, in spring training. In fact, we might have been in, uh, you and I might have been talking just days or around that time when yeah, he had just hurt. gotten hurt. Or, yeah, so, um, so him, you know, he's still part of the plan. And so they're going to win some weird games at Coors Field. That's just always going to happen. They won two out of three against the Marlins, they won two out of three against the Mets. Um, but then they got, you know, they just got railroaded by the Rangers. They are, they just, they lost three in a row to the D backs now on the road. The road Rockies. Um, are a thing, and the road Rockies have always been a thing. <laughs> when you come down from altitude and you have to face breaking balls that really break for the first time in a week or however long you've been playing at home, uh, it's a huge challenge. And it's not personnel because they've had the Blake Street Bombers. They've had Todd Helton. They've had Matt Holliday. They've had Arenado and Story. Um, just go down through the, 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 the history, and they, all those teams were bad on the road. So it's not the personnel. It's just the a matter of physics and um you know i mean i have my own thoughts on how you you need to win here but 
Um, nobody's, you know, nobody's gotten it right. And I'm not, I'm sure I'm my, my, my ideas wouldn't necessarily <laughs> fix the problem either, but they're a weird team. When you see them reel off a few wins in a row, especially at Coors Field, don't be fooled. They're going to go on the road and lose. And they're, you know, this is a, this is a team that's going to be bottom three in the national league and, and maybe in the major leagues. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the challenges that Coors Field and the altitude presents. Obviously, that's a big struggle with putting together a really strong pitching staff. I mean, it's difficult to get free agents to want to come there. And even if they come there, they have to get adjusted themselves. Kyle Freeland, however, I mean, in 2018, I would have voted for him for the Cy Young that year. Given how good he pitched at Coors Field, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm certain you remember. Oh, it was historic. Yeah, it was, and it wasn't talked about at all. Yeah, um, you know the the thing about pitchers uh, with the Rockies. Well, the thing about all players with the Rockies is they get overlooked, right? I mean, it took Larry Walker ten years to get into the Hall of Fame, and he was a. I mean, it, it, it was an easy case, honestly. He was a really good player. Um, ten, you know, uh, seven Gold Gloves. His war was, you know, the same war as Derek Jeter, but he, because of injury, he played in like 700 fewer games to get that war, you know, like, so, and, and Jeter was a shoe-in, right? Like, he was the first ballot, and here's Walker trying to scratch in on his 10th. And really, it's because of Coors Field, and it's because it's a smaller market, you know, in Colorado, and it's the only team for in this whole time zone almost. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's not uh, it's not surprising for te- for um players on the Rockies, pitchers or hitters to get overlooked, but pitchers in particular don't get as much credit as they deserve for um, pitching well at Coors Field. Um, And hitters get all of the drawbacks of hitting well at Coors Field, right? So like, like Helton, Todd Helton's going to be a Hall of Famer next year. He's going to get in. But uh, that's a lot of that maybe because, you know, Walker finally broke that door down with, with Coors Field and everything. But hitters get penalized more and this may be even true in the advanced metrics like you know OPS plus and WRC plus and things like that they get penalized a little bit more just because of the all stats are have their flaws and and and, and WRC plus and OPS plus when you're trying to park adjust for hitting metrics it's it's hard it's not an easy thing and sometimes I think um, you see guys that who play their home games at cores get penalized pitchers on the other hand get um, not as much credit for pitching well. So Freeland finished fourth. It was an incredible season. Um, you know, this season this is probably outside of two clunkers of starts. This season is probably his best since then. Um, so he's got an, he's got some some good seasons in him, I think. I mean, we didn't know that for sure right after that first, uh, that Cy Young, a fourth finish, place finish in yeah. Cy Young because, like, he got demoted to the minors within a yeah. month of this, that next season. And it was like, wow. I mean, I remember walking walking back toward the visitor's clubhouse, which is also the hallway out of the ballpark, and watching him leave, you know, with his stuff headed to Albuquerque, you know. And it was a kind of a jarring scene after he finishes fourth in Cy Young, has a historic season at Coors Field, is the, like the future, and he's a Denver guy. He's a local guy. So kind of like the future of this team, the face of this team in terms of the pitching staff. And so – uh, again, it, it's it's it all goes back to the difficulties of playing here and evaluating players here that leads to people getting overlooked like that. Do you think there's any possibility, given the field, uh, uh, could ever remodel, redo that park, and have a dome? 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of wonder why they didn't go with at least a retractable roof kind of situation before because, you know, yeah. April, May, and June get a little dicey. You know, it gets snow and cold weather, but um, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that would make a huge difference. Um, you know, yeah, like you see in Arizona, for example, like when they open the roof up, you know, you see a lot of ball, the balls fly more. Um, so it might make a, an incremental difference in that sense, but I don't think it's going to make a, enough of a difference to eliminate the challenge. I mean, I had the, I covered the Mets during the series. They were here. Buck was like, Buck Showalter was like, you know, it's like playing on them. Actually, Max Scherzer said it first, um, about how to adjust trying to pitch here. And then Buck took his quote saying, what did Max say the other day? You know, it's like playing on the moon, you know, and, and that's been a, popular take on how to how it is here and look they're not wrong i mean it's 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 just unbelievable i mean they're they're there are managers that come through here and they pull their hair out like how can anybody manage here you know and that's why bud black has done such a good job over the last few years he's a very steady presence in terms of like he's very careful about you know not showing frustration and not showing you know he doesn't especially the young team you don't want to send them that message so um you know, and and they watch the, you know, they they hear the clip, they see the clips, they watch the the MLB Network, they see media interviews with people, with manage their manager, and they don't, you know, you don't want to be showing them the wrong message that oh we just oh woe is us we can't win here, um, which by the way I think is one of the things the Rockies need to change of their culture there, um, I think there's this, there's this, implicit like elephant in the room type of thing where it's not talked about but that Coors is like a boogeyman like they're afraid. Um, of of their home park because they know it causes all these problems and everybody talks about it and it's been such a challenge over the last three decades and you know what you just got to go back I think to having kind of a confidence about home field and I know um, in talking to guys from the early 90s like when the when the team started um, particularly in the mid 90s they had those sluggers you know like Larry Walker Dante Bichette Andres Galarraga. Vinny Castilla, Ellisburgs, those guys loved coming home because they would go on the road and yeah, they knew they were going to lose a lot of games on the road, but they'd come home and they'd be like, I remember Ellisburgs telling me like, it, we would call it nightmare on Blake Street. That's what we were. And we were. And they would save their batting practice for the bomber, Blake Street Bombers. Those guys would save their batting practice session for the last one because that's when the opposing pitchers stretched and they wanted them to get a taste of what they were going to see in the game. Which is long home runs, and that they would do take batting practice and just drill home runs, and they wanted to show them that they had that confidence. This the the, the recent teams don't. In fact, if you look at the recent teams, they're some of the worst hitting teams in Rockies history in the last um, five years. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. So we mentioned Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant now is actually. He's age 31. This is year two of the con- of the seven-year, $182 million contract. Um, and he's played 50 games. Like, a lot of people were concerned, can this guy stay healthy? Right. Last year, injury real season. Prior to that, I mean, I think he had played 140-plus games every single season, except, except for the COVID season. And then I think it was maybe 2018 or 2019, one of those two years. He was, I think it was 2018. He was out for a while. Um but he's given him he's given him something 263 346 719 five home runs 17 RBI i mean it's not really what you're 
hope what you're expecting though out of Chris Bryant when you make that big signing. I mean, what's your kind of what are your thoughts on how Chris Bryant has looked this year? Well, it's really interesting. Um, I think you got to start with the the signing itself. When when the Rockies signed Bryant, I think most of the baseball world was you know scratching its head like. You just had Arenado like two years ago. You trade him. Then you sign Chris Bryant and break the bank with a $182 million contract. He's he's already 30, so he's gonna. most of those years are going to be in his mid to late 30s. Um, it was a questionable signing at the time. and But the Rockies have a history of signings that kind of cause people to scratch their heads. And one, you know, Ian Desmond, you know, a few years back where it's like he didn't even have a position to play. I remember asking Ian Desmond in his introductory press conference, like, have you ever played first base? He's like, no. I'm like, 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 like a little league? No. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I get what they're trying to do, and obviously it didn't work, and they paid him $70 million and, you know, and then now Chris Bryant. It's just, you know, I think they, I think they calculated, uh, someone calculated it um, at some point where over the last, like, decade or maybe somewhere within eight to ten years, the Rockies have spent, like, prior to Bryant, they spent like $250 million on free agent signings and combined the wins above replacement were negative four. Something oh my like gosh. That. Wow. So the Rockies have a track record of really um, ill-advised free agent signings. And they're stuck in a rock, between a rock and a hard place in the sense that they're, um, sn- they feel snake bit by that. But then they also know that they need to sometimes dip their toe in the free agent waters. And, and you got to, do that but then you go and sign chris bryant and you know we know that 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 the rockies uh rockies owner you know dick monford has been after bryant for a long time they thought they were going to land him uh in in the draft they thought 2013 2013 they had they had you know a lot of mock drafts had him going you know to the rockies number three he went number two to the cubs and then so the rockies went with john gray number three and ever since then it's like i think i think there might be that like feeling of losing out that that Dick Monfer wanted to correct and and you know so they and then as soon as they get a chance that he's a free agent they sign him but he's 30 when they sign him 31 on 31 he does have an injury history and now it's kind of reared its ugly head last year he played in 40 some games only and it was you know he had back problems foot problems plantar fasciitis in the foot this year he's playing but he's not producing and you know the biggest thing with Bryant is there's no power. It's the power's gone. Um, he's slugging below 400. Um, he is. It's very un Chris Bryant like. Chris Bryant was never going to hit 50 home runs, but he he was a guy that would hit you 25 to 30 plus home runs, and and he would slug you know close to 500. Uh, you know when he was at when he was going well. Not anymore. Now he's a guy that it seems like this is what he settled into, that he's a singles hitter now. If that's what you're going to pay $182 million for, um, especially when your home park is Coors Field, that's just not that's not enough. you know. And uh, we're now through a third of the season. And again, even his batting average is way below his normal. Um, his slugging is low below normal. He's a below average hitter, according to park adjusted stats. Um, it's just not looking good, you know. Whether he's trying to play uh, play it safe so he doesn't get hurt, whether he's I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure what's going on. Um, it's just not happening. And 
it's just look, it's early. It's the second year of a seven year contract, but it's not it doesn't bode well. It, it doesn't look as though this is going to turn out any any different than some of the uh, pre you know prior free agent uh, um, signings that the Rockies have made that have turned out to be really just you look back on them and you know tw- hindsight's twenty twenty. If Chris Bryant was you know it, you know just lighting things up, you know lighting lighting the baseball world on fire, it would have been different. But it's not, and the Rockies are going down that path again. And again, identity. What are you? You sign a veteran Chris Bryant who is, you know, injury prone. And then you got these young guys coming up and the next two or three years is going to be very telling. Are they going to develop the identity or are they going to continue to kind of wander around aimlessly uh, at the bottom of the national league? Yeah. So Chris Bryant, I will say I've honestly been surprised at how, like how this has played out so far. I mean, last year, okay. He was injured. That could happen, you know, and it, We'll see what ends up happening with the future of this. But like you said, when you pay for a seven-year contract, you're really buying those first few years, especially when the guy's already at age 30. Great point. This isn't supposed to happen until the back half of it, right? Yeah. And I thought Chris Bryant, look, so his career has been very strange because 2015, 2016, 2017, those first three years, we're talking about a not no one's Mike Trout, but a Bryce Harper like player, like an yeah. elite top ten position yeah, player. MVP in his first two years, he was yeah. on the right track. And then, really, from you know watching him closely in Chicago, I felt like there was one tipping point in his career, and maybe you were at that game, but when he got hit in the head in Colorado yeah. in 2018, Mark, come on, Marcus, yeah, yeah. Ever since then, he has not put together the power numbers. He hasn't been that caliber player. And mm, I also, it also reminded me a little bit of when Jason Hayward got, he got hit in the head and his power really was never back after that. Um, mm. He had that one year in St. Louis where he was, you know, I think he finished maybe like 11th or 12th in MVP voting that year. And then the Cubs gave him the big contract, but Hayward was a power guy the first couple of years. I think he hit 27 home runs, was an all-star, um, and such a big, large human too. That yeah. Oh, I remember. Power. I remember the hype, man, surrounding that guy. He was going to be the next big thing for sure. Yeah, he was supposed to be the next Griffey. Yeah. Um, but I just thought so. My kind of observation was, ever since I saw Bryant get hit like that, I never. He's never quite that elite level player. But at the That's same time, yeah. At the same time, he was still an all star level player, and mm-hmm. I thought that maybe facing his demons in Colorado coming back and him playing with the altitude. I look, I remember watching this guy, his first spring train or not his first spring training, but his first spring training when he was in 2015, when he ended up getting brought up that year, his rookie year spring training, I was watching the ball fly in Arizona. These just, he'd hit these moonshot home runs. that would go up so high. Oh, yeah. And it just keep carrying and carrying. And at first, I'm like, oh, that guy flew out. And I'm just watching it. I'm like, wow. Yeah, boy, he would hit some majestic home runs. I remember him hitting the scoreboard at Wrigley. And, uh, you know, just there were just some things where it's like, man, this guy's got Hall of Fame written all over. You know, Um, it was just so natural, right? It it just came so naturally to him. And uh, even his swing, you know, it's the swing hasn't doesn't seem to have changed. It's it's an easy swing. 
Um, and it used to have easy power, right? This is the exact opposite of it. Now everything's a soft single. Everything's, you know, a ground ball, a seeing eye signal, single, the occasional double, you know, and it's basically the single, but he pulled it down the line a little bit more. Um, not hit very hard. Like his hard hit rate is in the low 30s, you know, and it's like, that's just not the Chris Bryant that, um, let's just say, it's not even the Chris Bryant that the Giants had about three years, two or three years ago. I remember Buster Olney back in 2015 at that time. I think he or someone else nicknamed him Stupid Pop was like his thing. <laughs> right. It's just yeah. like, it's just stupid. It just how comes much... off that bat so naturally and so such, it jumps so, so, so well off the bat. I personally thought we were going to see some of it come back. I, I thought that this guy going to Colorado, look, now obviously there's a, it's not as simple as, oh yeah, you're going to hit better when you go to Colorado, but right. you can hit no, better. I mean, I, yeah, you can. I mean, I mean, I, you know, Dante Bichette. I remember asking him about that that whole like home road thing. And he's like, it's easy to be good at Colorado. It just is. I mean, Dante, you know, this is why the players get such a bad rap is because, yeah, it's a lot easier to hit in Colorado because you got a, just this enormous outfield and and the ball travels, you know, ten you know ten percent further, seven percent further, ten percent further, depending on your what studies you're doing and the wind and everything. But that, you know, that they never the 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 casual observer never takes into account the hangover the course hangover which is you go on the road and the reason what we talked the, the thing we talked about the phenomenon of no rockies team in history ever being good on the road like no matter who was you know um on that you know no matter who was on that roster so it's because of going down from altitude it's a really breaking balls you, and and the, and the movement on pitches especially these days when you got sweepers and p- pitches that just are move just outrageously well um and so you know that that's um he said that's the part people don't talk about enough now i i I remember asking chris about the that whole thing like when he first came here have you heard about these you know stories about going on the road and i say like yeah i've heard about them i mean he kind of dismissed it you know at that time and and um you know the thing is, we've just never. I was curious to see how he would do with the adjustment. The problem is, he's not hitting it. He's not really hitting anywhere. Yeah. In terms of slug and in terms of, you can't really get a good feel for him at all because he's never really. He's not. He's not what he used to be. And that's. I'm truly surprised by it, Manny. I really thought that we were going to see. I thought he'd be last year. I thought he'd be getting MVP votes. I thought we we're going to see a return to some of that power, ball carrying a little more at Coors Field. So I've been, quite frankly, I've been very surprised at the output from Chris Bryant. Um, But this leads me to a question because going back to the Cubs, actually, I'll I'll mention this. You might remember that same series. Uh, This is just my brain works. I remember weird stuff. But Albert Almora Jr., he made some remarkable catches in in that outfield. Mm -hmm. And... He had, uh, honestly, a similar kind of weird... This is just kind of a story of that Cubs team. Is So I think you can trace Chris Bryant, like what, he, what happened to him after he got hit in the head, whether or not that was actually cause and effect, but that was kind of like a... Since then, he hasn't been the same player. Albert Almora 
was it was weird because for whatever reason he was playing at a very high level at that point in time but he for whatever reason wasn't in the lineup every single day I thought he should have been playing more quite frankly um and he showed a lot of promise but then the next year he fouls off a ball hits a fan in the face and ever since then he's never the same hitter after that very interesting yeah which is weird and then similarly like with that if you're just kind of looking at what happened to that Cubs team you also had around the same time stuff going on in Ben Zobris' personal life that takes him right. away from the game, and then stuff in Addison Russell's personal life that takes him sure. away from the game. So it's there are a lot of things that kind of happen. You could talk about what happened with the with the Cubs, but some of it was just bad luck in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is like we have a lot of great tools to measure things that we didn't weren't able to measure before in terms of metrics and. Um, you know, and, and it just gives us a whole new window into the game that's fantastic. But there are certain things they'll never be able to measure. And one of those is off the field, you know, vibe, what's going on, the feeling in the clubhouse of certain things. I, I mean, I think clubhouse um, chemistry and things like that gets overrated sometimes. Um, we've seen, t- you know, yeah. look at the 78 Yankees. I mean, they hated each other. It was just terrible. <laughs> and yet they won the, you know, they they, they, they won the World Series. And so it's like, you know, that was those Reggie Jackson. Those are the Reggie Jackson, Billy Martin teams. And um, but that does that's not to say that it's 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 a bad thing to have good clubhouse chemistry. And it's not, you know, those are good things to have. And sometimes, you know, things can you can't measure the impact of things that happen. And so you like those things that you mentioned about Russell and about, um, you know, Amora and about Zobrist. And yeah, it can really it can really, you know, take its toll. So, yeah, who knows? I mean, I don't really know. You know, and that's another interesting story is the Cubs of that, you know, 2016 Cubs win it all finally. And then they kind of, you know, within a couple of years, they became irrelevant again. And it was just kind of sad because for that franchise, because it was like, it's almost like they were building, they had, they'd taken all that, you know, I, I covered them. I was there for a summer covering them as an intern for us in 2013, like the last truly, really awful season for them. And, um, you know, it, it, I remember like it was just the the whole curiosity really was: are they are they going to really build this thing to win it? Because they really tore it down to bare bones and started over. And all that time and with bad baseball and trying to build it all back up again to win it, it's amazing. It's a hundred you know hundred eight year drought, but then to just that was it. That was it. And they I mean they made the playoffs a couple more years and then that was it. So. I don't know. Um, it's it's tough to tell those things. You can't really ever get your head around them. But um, that but but that's there's no doubt those things have an impact of some sort. Yeah. And now the Cubs are where they are. And personally, right now, I believe this Cubs team is years away from really being competitive. Like I think what they did, they won 74 games last year. There's very little young talent coming up that's going to be high impact right now or even this year, like later this year, even mm-hmm. next year. There just isn't a lot. It's not like some people were drawing a comparison this team to the 2015 team earlier in the season. I doubt. Was, I don't think that's even close. Yeah, no, no, no shot. There was no Kyle Schwarber. There was no Chris Bryant. There was no Addison Russell coming up right now. Like it's just not. It's, it's just, just a, a different feel, right? Like they they do have some 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 nice players, right? But it's not like again. It goes back to what the Cubs were on. They were building. They were on the verge, 
they were actually ahead of schedule in 2015 because they won like 90 some games and made the postseason. Yeah, like 97 or 98 games. Yeah, and, and and that was, yeah, that was unexpected, but it was a different unexpected. It was unexpected, but it was like, oh, they're just ahead of schedule. This is a team now that is trying to figure out what it is. I think a little bit um, to a lesser extent than the Rockies, of course, but a little bit like that. Like, who are we now, and where do we go? You know, say this is our. Uh, uh, say a Suzuki and um, you know players like this, and uh, you know obviously they gave Dansby, Dansby the big contract, um, and they've got some 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 pretty good young players there. So there's a, there's a something to build with, right? They're ahead of where the Rockies are, of course. Um, I mean, who isn't? But um, the, I'm honestly not sure about that. In all, yeah. Honesty. Well, yeah. They they it seems like they've got more. Well, let's just say they seems like they've got more pieces for the long term that they can identify right now, whereas the Rockies have the only piece of the long term they can identify is Chris Bryant, and he's not doing anything for them. So, um, but anyway, it, yeah. I, 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 it's not 2015. You know, it's just different. It's very different. A very different um, dynamic. I think. Yeah, I think this team. They're. I think what happened this. So they they gutted the place a couple years ago, and honestly, they probably should have started doing that a little sooner. I think they probably could have gotten. That's a, I think that's the fault of a lot of teams. They just wait a little too long. I think the Giants did that. Yep. I think uh, the Rockies definitely did that. Um, there's a lot of teams that they just don't pull the trigger on on it soon enough. You know. Yeah, I think if you had traded Javi Baez after say 2019. When he was become talk, someone who was on the cover of MLB The Show, people are talking about him as a face of the league, and I yeah, never so thought, he was, yeah, never thought he was that great of a player. But anyway, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I do think you could at the time I saw where this thing was going. I think they could have sold earlier, but they ended up kind of having to do what they did because they tried to extend some guys, and in the case of Baez and Rizzo, they ended up taking significantly less money on the open market than they were reportedly offered in the extensions. Um, so I end up kind of gutting the place. There's a lot of fan pushback here in Chicago. People are so upset, which is understandable. And I felt like this past winter was reactionary to fans are not happy. Cubs don't, they don't want to be in a rebuild. And so I felt like the Cubs went out and they got Swanson to show that they're willing to play ball. They're willing to sign some free agents. Um, and then they, they signed all these other guys. And I really felt like this team is, we're trying to get people to keep watching the marquee television network that we started. We don't want people to cancel season tickets, but this team realistically is not a good team. And this is, I mean, they're probably going to be closer to 500, than just entirely botting, bottoming out because they picked up these guys. Maybe there are plans to potentially flip some assets at the deadline. But nonetheless, I just don't, I never bought into, and I think a lot of people here in Chicago did when they got off to 11 and 6 start over their last 35 games prior to opening this series on Monday against the Rays, they were 11 and 24. Right. Yeah. And, um, when you have a team that's trying to figure out what it is, uh, that's those are going to happen. Uh, stretches where they look just terrible, and then stretches where they look like, hey, maybe there's something here. Um, and I think I, I would think that that's going to be kind of how it is the rest of the season, you know. And depending on what happens in the offseason next season, so um, you know, it, it, sometimes 
you just don't want to stay in that place too long. Sometimes you end up, ha you're in this kind of like purgatory where you're just kind of sitting there. You're not exactly like, you're, you're, you're not moving up, you're not moving forward, but you're not moving backward. That's kind of the worst thing to be, you know, because uh, it's a problem the Rockies have had. They've never been, they've never lost 100 games. You know, they never won 100 games, but they never lost 100 games. They're always kind of just there. Um, and it can, it can create kind of this apathetic feeling of it's just kind of blah. It's just kind of like, well, you know, we're, we're always trying to figure out how we can compete, but we're never kind of, we're never quite close. And when we do get close, it, the window's only open very, for a very short time. Um, a lot of that's, you know, decisions for free agent decisions, things like that. But, um, you want to definitely have a direction that you're moving in and you can't stay static for more than two, you know, a couple of years at a time. And so hopefully for the Cubs sake, but the, you know, two years from now, if we're having this conversation, hopefully they're, they're, they have moved ahead from where they are right now. But the question that's that the jury's out, you know, we're going to see what happens. So my question to you, Manny is Dansby Swanson and Chris Bryant essentially got the same seven year contract. Mm -hmm. Um, Swanson seven years one seventy seven, Bryant seven years one eighty two. Ignoring the fact that Bryant got his a year earlier, let's just say it's the same thing. All mm -hmm. things being equal, if you're the Cubs, would you rather have the Bryant contract or the Swanson contract? Maybe I shouldn't even say contract, just the player. Which yeah. player would you rather have? Definitely Swanson. Uh, he's younger. Number one. Number two. He is. Uh, coming off of his best season of his career last year um, with the, his last season with the Braves. Uh, and so far, he's he's sustaining that kind of level of production, at least in the peripheral numbers, like at least in the quality of contact. You know, I mean, you look at the quality of contact, his hard hit rate is in the mid 40s. His K rate is down. His walk rates way up at a career high. Um, he's uh, his expected slugging is over 500, according to StatCast. Uh, you know, he's barreling the ball more than he's ever barreled the ball almost 14% of the time. So it's really the exact opposite of Chris Bryant, who's regressing in that area in the quality of contact. He's going backwards in that area. Um, and then obviously the health problems, like they, I, I don't, I have no idea, you know, what, how Chris feels, you know, physically, but, um, when you go out and you and this is happening in, in terms of your performance, there's always going to be those questions about, you know, what is he healthy really, or is he just going out there because it's a contract and he's got to be out there, and um, you know he's just nursing injury and he's just doing the best he can to be out there. So, absolutely, Dansby is an easy call for me on that. It's a little tougher for me because I think the way I look at it is the Cubs already had Nico Horner and. Horner might be better than Swanson at this point, or at the very least, he is the uh, trajectory to be better. And I just didn't see a big need for Swanson with where this team is. Like I felt like because you're in a rebuild, because you're far away from competing, I and you know it's going to be interesting. Like you said, what is the timeline? Personally, I don't think this team is. I think you're looking at 2025 as the earliest that this team could actually be competitive. So what is Swanson going to give you then? Probably more than Bryant. That's for sure. I think I'd, I'd go with that. But at the same time, I think about the value of just kind of having a guy who's face of the franchise, fan favorite type player. And look, it's easy for me to say, I don't know if Bryant actually would have taken that contract. Maybe he sure. wanted to leave Chicago. 
Um, well, I mean, if you're talking about apples to apples and you're saying who would you have, all things being equal, you know, um, the reason I pick Swanson is he's a better player. Simple as that. And it's interesting because the Rockies didn't need Brian either. It would didn't yeah. really make sense. I mean, it, it, yeah. they're also a team that they'll never say it, but they're a rebuilding team. And they really should have decided to start earlier. So then you bring a guy like that in, and you, who's taking so much of the payroll, and it's like, what are we doing? What's what's happening here? Um, so very similar in that sense. Like, do they really need him? So it's kind of like, okay, all things being equal, Cubs didn't really need their guy. Uh, you know, based on you know the, the 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 rationale that you laid out, and then the Rockies didn't need their guy. So they're just let's just put them out there and say which one would you rather have? And I think if the yeah. if you're the Rockies, you'd rather have Swanson, you know, for sure. Well, yeah, if you're the Rockies, for sure. I just think if if I'm in the Cubs position, I'd rather have the guy who's kind of, like to kind of. Yeah, I get what you're player. saying. I don't know if I would, I would pay him that much though. You no, know, like, like that's the thing is, um, if 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 the money's going to be the same for both of them, uh, you're going to get more production out of Swanson. Yeah. He's younger, so when the com- t- window of comp you know competitiveness comes around maybe he's going to be able to give you more like you mentioned that than Bryant at that point because Bryant's, the, Bryant's not giving you anything now you know oh I I agree with you I think the one thing I'm just kind of the my main take is like if you're going into a rebuild and you just kind of want to have a guy to sell tickets yeah I'd rather, I mean, that's that's a different yeah that's a different calculation because that's what it feels like to me I just don't like Swanson we'll see again we'll see where this team is in a couple of years personally I wouldn't assign either of them. I would same. just, yeah. You said the same. Yeah, yeah. And and but when you, if the if the choice is between them, then then it's for me it's Swanson. But if if I had the choice of none of the above, like a multiple uh, choice quiz, then I would probably say none of the above. <laughs> I actually for those teams in terms of where they are. Right. Yeah. Exactly. If I'm if I'm the Phillies, I would have rather had the Swanson contract than the Turner contract. Um. Yeah, that's a tougher one for me because I still think Turner has some really good production left. But I can see where you're going on that. Um, younger player, you know. Defense. Uh, that's a team that's not good defensively. Yeah, great defense. Um, on the rise, Turner is an incredible – see, Turner Turner's one of those guys that is going to go down as, wow, what amazing tools. Power, speed, threat. He could easily be a 30-30 guy. Uh, 30, he could be a 30-40 guy. Um, and uh, he could be a 6-war player every year. But it's just it just hasn't come together for him between injuries and other things. that It just hasn't happened. So, yeah, um, it, it's it, that one's a little tougher for me. But I can, see, I can see why you would go with Swanson on that. Yeah, and I think either way, I think that move makes a lot more sense. Whether it's Turner, it's like the the Phillies grabbing a shortstop makes way more sense to me yeah. than the Rockies because they they feel like this is the piece that we we need we yep. we could really well I mean we were that we were on the cusp last year you know they're thinking that we just we're the NL champs we 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 surprised a lot of people we surprised ourselves probably by be, being able to make that run what do we need now what's right. left and so you can see the case for Turner in that case he just hasn't hit. You know, that's so when you make that move. If I'm a GM, right. I'm I want to right now. If I'm the Rockies or the Cubs, 
I'd rather have an open spot for a guy like a Nico Horner to develop as yeah. that shortstop. Maybe Absolutely. even extend him, give him like a Michael Harris type contract. Get try to lock him up real long. Well, and see, that's the difference between the Rockies and the Cubs there, and a lot and the Rockies and a lot of other teams. They don't have that young star. You know, they don't have that yeah, young rising point. star. They don't have. They're waiting and seeing what they have. Tovar is interesting. Great defensive player. Hits the ball very hard when he hits it. Um, so that's interesting, you know, and, um, you know, Brenton Doyle has shown flashes. He's a, he's a huge guy who can run. The Rockies have always gone after athletes, really like well-built power, speed threats. They just haven't panned out. You know, who was like that was Sam Hilliard, who then went onto the Braves and had a little success there. I, I think he's come back now down from that, but, um, it just never pans out for them, and they don't have a, a star that a rising star that can say this guy's a piece for us. Brendan Rodgers was hopefully going to be that guy, but then with the, all the injuries, it's just brutal, man. And um, you know he's he has the makings of that, but again, because of the injuries, because you haven't had a, lot, a large enough sample, you don't know that just yet. He's gone for the rest of the year. He's another year older, so the Rockies are very much I without an identity and the, the Cubs are maybe a little farther along in trying to form it because they have guys like Horner and guys like, you know, Suzuki, they can say yeah. we're, we're going to like, these are the guys we know are going to be a part of the next chapter. But um, the Rockies absolutely don't have any of that right now. They're they're, they're It's kind of wait and see and hope for them. Well, I think that's a, it's good. What, my, what I'm getting at is I would rather wait to buy that free agent when yeah, I know sure. what that piece is. Makes so sense. I'm like, we need a third baseman. Let's go. And get I think a third that's baseman. what the Rockies w- would have been better off doing than than, yeah. than than breaking the bank for Bryant. Um, you know, it's yeah, you, it's a guy who's you can come and see. That isn't even worked out. You know, a guy that you can come and see and wear his jersey and root for him because he's a, a former MVP and he's going to hit home runs and he's going to produce, especially at home. Even that hasn't happened. You know, so uh, really, it's just it, that that investment is looking really bad right now. It's uh, almost, is it as bad or worse than the Russell Wilson investment? <laughs> well, now we're crossing <laughs> over into sports. You know, I'm not a big, um, I mean, I, 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 I'm not a big NFL guy so in terms of following it and all that kind of stuff. So the thing about Russell Wilson is he's just, uh, he's kind of baffling in terms of not only his play, but his just his demeanor, his personality. Like, I don't get yeah. Russell Wilson. You know, I mean, it just seems like, he projects a certain way of being a certain way and just does kind of these weird things that you feel like, like, who are you exactly, you know? And so that's the type of guy that I always worry about in terms of, um, you know, and early in his career in Seattle, it looked like he might be that kind of field general, that kind of leader, that kind of, that, that, that everyone wants in a quarterback. But, you know, between him and, and, and Chris Bryant, though, in terms of the, you know, uh, you know, thousand watt, smile and you know the sparkly eyes and and all that they've got that you know but that doesn't play on the field yeah so just kind of putting a cap on this main thing is like the Cubs sort of did a similar thing though in signing Swanson is you you move Horner over to second base so now Nick Madrigal is one of those kind of guys where it's like we'd like to find out could this guy be an asset for us going forward you're not going to get a chance to really see it yeah, so you're yeah. better off, in my opinion, when you're not going to be competing, just having open spots for auditions. Exactly. Than 
buying players. And I think that's what people around here have been clamoring for the fans. Like, it's just like, let us see the children. Let us see the kids, <laughs> you know, let, let them the play. play and let them develop and all that kind of stuff. And why do we need, why do we need Chris Bryan and left, you know, and, and why do we need, you know, it, it, you know, sometimes you just got to take it on the chin and just like your, your, your number one focus is development and the results don't really matter. Uh, let the results, ha- you know, fall where they may. But um, you know that you're not comp- competing with the Dodgers or the Padres. You would think, except the Padres are just, <laughs> com- uh, you know, the biggest disappointment in baseball right now. Um, you're not going to compete with those guys for the division title. You know, in fact, you haven't won a division title in at all. You know, yeah, in 30 never. years. And so, um, in order to try to get there, how about you try to build it? build a strong foundation, start from there, you know, and the Rockies, I think have never had that. They've never built a strong foundation and then built around that. Nolan Arenado left this place probably because of the fact that he signed this huge deal and then they didn't do anything to support it. They didn't put anything around them. You know, they had, their window was right there, 2018, that off season. They had just gotten the division series. Sec- first time in their franchise history, they had been back-to-back postseasons, And, they needed to supplement, you know, I think Dan Zimborski maybe had said this um, really good quote. He said, the Rays can find one war players in their couch cushions. <laughs> you need one war guys, two war guys to support in the position player side to support your superstars. And the Rockies were awful at that. They just, I think their combined war for everybody that wasn't named Blackman, Story, Arnado, or LeMahieu was negative. In the, in, on the, in the, on the field. So, you know, at some point you don't see that vision. You don't want to be here. I think that's what happened with Arenado. Um, and have the Rockies changed? Yeah, they have a new GM. Um, I think he's very quiet. He doesn't say much. He doesn't say much, but I think, you know, it's like trying to turn around the Titanic while it's sinking is what the Rockies are. So it, Bill Schmidt has to come in here and he has to like, it's not going to happen overnight. And I just don't know how much say he has over the th- things like, you know, signing Chris Bryant, things like that. So um, definitely Chris Bryant's taken up a spot, not producing. And you know what it, how it goes with the big contracts. They play regardless and um, for a long yeah. time. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I think um, development is first. And for teams like the Cubs and Rockies, and if you're if that's being put on the back burner for any reason, that's a problem. Agreed. Now, Manny, uh, before we kind of turn a chapter on talking ball for today, I'd like to get kind of let's talk a little bit of NL West here. Um, the Dodgers are in first place, but they're only up by half a game. Arizona Diamondbacks surprising a lot of people, ten games above five hundred for the first time since September 2018, back when things were really clicking for the Diamondbacks and the Rockies back then. Yeah, um, Bill Schmidt said it best, probably, the Rockies GM. He said the the D-backs are ahead of us by a year. Might be more than a year, but yeah, he he was right. Um, I mean, the players that they've developed, they have players, again, it goes back to, you know, players that you can give an extension to, relatively safely. Corbin Carroll is uh, that guy for them. He just got that extension, and he is—he's uh, shown against the Rockies lately in the last three days 
he is showing why. I mean, the guy has power. He's got speed. He's got all the tools. Great defensive player in the outfield. He's, um, again, he's the guy the Rockies don't have. The Rockies do not have an established, young, rising star that they can say, you know what, we're giving, we're locking this guy up because we're going to keep him for a long time and build around. He's going to be one of the guys we build around, and or the guy. And uh, that's what the, the D-backs have. Jake McCarthy, super fast. He's stolen five bases against the Rockies in the last three days. Um, you know, so he's not the player Carroll is, not nearly, but he's another guy that you can see on this team down the road. Uh, you know, they, they're just, and, you know, they, they've got, you know, Zach Gallon is a great starting pitcher. He's one of the, now I think he's, it's not easy being on the D-backs and then kind of rising to the level of respect as one of the better pitchers in the league that, that Zach Gallon has done, and he's there. Um, so Merrill Kelly has been good as well. So this is a team that we knew kind of after last season was going to be interesting. We didn't know there would be this interesting so far. Uh, you know, half game out of first place behind the Dodgers entering today. Uh, so I, I think, you know, I think they're a team that's going to hang around They're They're not going to win a division, but they're going to, they're, they're a team that I think has a legitimate chance to go to the postseason. And if you're trying to gauge the relative progress of the D-backs and the Rockies. The D-backs lost 110 games two years ago. Um, and here they are. The Rockies are what they were still two years ago. Um, maybe even a little bit, you know, it, they're, they've stepped forward in the sense that they're not saying it out loud, but they're rebuilding now. And they're, they're not just trying to technically compete. But they also don't have an identity like we talked about. So, they have no shot at the postseason. The D-backs have a real shot at the postseason. That's all you need to know about their relative um, progress regarding developing the future. I had the Diamondbacks in the playoffs in the preseason. That's a good call. I mean, they're they're they are they're young. They're exciting. They're fun. Um, and uh, yeah, that that's that that's that that's the recipe for surprise surprise. Where the where the third wild card team, for example. They're a little bit like the Baltimore on the National League side. They got a lot of yeah, not as not as uh, not as advanced in terms, of, but yeah, in terms They're of like the Baltimore last year. Yes, yeah, in terms of the philosophy and in terms of, uh, you know the the it's a team you don't want to see, right? It's a team you don't want to see because you know they can beat you at any given day, even though they don't have the the same talent on paper as some of the the powerhouses in the league. So. Yeah, and 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 you know the Orioles are making that transition fast, which is also fun. They're making that transition fast from that sort of team to legitimate elite team that you have to, you know, you have to respect in that in that sense. You know that they're they're reaching that echelon. And then your quickly your take on San Francisco, San Diego, those two teams. Yeah, so Padres, um, we talked a little bit about earlier. They're they're just a massive disappointment, and it's like. You know, they 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 tease us by reaching the NLCS last year. Um, they're, they're spending money like crazy. So it's like you want to see what happens with that, with this kind of experiment. Let's just get all the best players we can get. We don't even care if they're overlapping positions. Like they've got like four shortstops on the roster uh, or on the, you know, that could all be starting at short. Um, and let's see what happens so far it's just not working and uh i know machado's been hurt but he wasn't hitting well even 
you know, to start the season before he went on, before he was sidelined. So they are absolute wild card, not in terms of like the wild card position, but in terms of they could be anything. They could end up making the postseason, having a huge surge and giving the Dodgers a run in the second half. Or they could just miss it entirely like they did a few years ago after there were huge expectations built up because they had started to challenge the Dodgers. Just a truly, anyone who says they know what's going to happen with the Padres is not, doesn't know what they're talking. They're not, they're, that's not true. There's no way anyone could understand or know or have a really good feel for what the Padres are going to do. Giants, same thing in a different direction. They're not supposed to be 500, a 500 team. They're too old. You know, they're just... Um, you know, Farhan's IED uh, over there. Um, uh, again, you have to do you have to go with what you have to work with in terms of your farm system and everything else. But they're just they, you know, they've got aging players still. You know, Crawford is uh toward the end there of his career. Um, you know, they they got Michael Conforto, they brought him in, who's not exactly um, you know, spring chicken himself, uh, and stuff like that. So, like. You know they are they're they're gonna they're gonna hover around five hundred a little below I think the rest of the year. Yeah, I feel San Francisco. It just feels kind of like you know two years ago everything just came together. They're gonna perfect. be studying that twenty twenty one Giants season for a long time, trying to figure out how they did that. <laughs> and I don't know if they'll ever come to a, a satisfactory answer. You know. Um, that's one of the most baffling performances I've ever seen because you can't make sense of it on paper. It's something that happens, it seems, just every every once in a while there's a team where every single player greatly outperforms their expectations. Yeah, and they're and lucky with injuries and all that. Like the 2005 White Sox yeah. were like that. Mm-hmm. That was a team a that example. everybody had a career year, but it really doesn't happen that often. And I think I honestly wonder if that was what the Cubs were hoping would happen with this team this year is like, we got all these kind of parts coming together, but it's, that's definitely not the case. But anyway, yeah, I think this giants team, they probably should have started rebuilding years ago. Agree. They I had, think they were just too late on that. If they had torn it down after, I think 2017 was really the year where, 2016. Yeah, that year that they lost almost 100 games. Yeah, that would have been the year to just say we're done. And that's what I thought they would they would do, and they didn't. They held on. By now, if you did, if you make those the right moves, you'd be back by now. But now it's like they're prolonging it even more, and they're going to have less assets to move. Yeah, and I thought at at that time, same thing. I thought around 2018 ish was the time and uh, they didn't do that. And then on 21, they kind of proved everybody wrong for a minute, but then it's like, wait a minute, they regressed again. And it's like, wait, that was just a fluke is what it looks like. So they're playing well right now. I think they had won like their, they won a few series in a row until yesterday, 15 and 19 games, or maybe it was like 14, 18, something like that. Right. But it won't last. I think that's a team that um, ends up, uh, you know, 10 games under by the end, something like that. Give me one team or more in the National League that has underperformed that you expect to be doing much better than they are at this point? Uh, outside the Padres, the Cardinals is another one. Um, that one was a real surprise, especially just how uh, they spiraled down right out, out of the gate. I mean, if you're going to have a, 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 a every season you have those kinds of like, you know, 
10 or 15 game runs where it's like, oof, you know, that we, we're going to have those bad runs. You do, if you're going to have it, it's better to get it out of the way early, I think. And, and so uh, if you're a Cardinals fan, you're hoping that that's what happened. Um, they just have too much talent to be where they are. Um, but because the NL Central is a weak division, they still have a chance. So I expect them to, to improve. Uh, the Padres, I think they're going to improve. The question is how much? Will they be able to do enough to get back in this thing and really challenge the Dodgers? Um, you know, obviously the Pirates were a surprise and they've regressed to the mean. Um, the Phillies, the Phillies are another one. That you think you the would, Phillies will move up? I think they will. I think they were a team that also has been a dis- disappointment, you know, to this point. Um, again, too much talent. Aaron Nola uh, in the rotation who hasn't exactly pitched the way he's capable of all season. The lineup is um, when they put Turner in with Schorber and, and Harper and Real Muto and, Hos- and when Hoskins gets back, that's a that's a team that could very well they could very well be back in the postseason when it's all said and done because the one thing that's good about baseball in that sense is it's a long year it's a long year i'm a little more concerned about phillies just because i think last year they didn't exactly they kind of limped into the playoffs and they got hot and then they had that great run but, I mean, they were like an 87 or 88 win team, and they can certainly do that again. The problem, though, that still exists is this is not a good defensive team. They're Yep, they, that's been their Achilles heel for, you know, when they when they signed Schorber and Castellanos, it was like, okay, <laughs> I mean, you're you're all in on the on the lineup, and you don't uh, you know you don't care what happens. It's like the line in Moneyball where it's like, you know, Bean goes. His defense doesn't matter, and Art Howe's like, "Oh, I've had enough of this conversation," you know. <laughs> and um, so, you know, neither side is right. Defense does matter. It doesn't matter as much necessarily, depending on the player. Um, but they, yeah, they—that's an example of a team that went all in on lineup power uh, on power. So, yes, if 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 um, if the if the which means that if you struggle at the plate, it's going to hurt even more, right? If you're a player like that, if Castellanos doesn't produce, uh, which he didn't much of last year. Um, if uh, Schwarber goes into a prolonged slump, you're in real trouble because they don't give you anything defensively either. Preseason, I had Braves, Cardinals, Dodgers. Then I had Mets, uh, let's see, Padres, and Diamondbacks. Those were my playoff teams. I actually had Philly missing out. So I had Philly falling out and Diamondbacks. Certainly, certainly not out of the realm of possibility that the Phillies aren't there, you know, because, again, um, Baseball is just so. I mean, I told I was talking about this to someone a few weeks ago. Baseball, you can't get the ball to Tom Brady. You can't get the ball to LeBron. You, you, you. It's whoever's coming up in the ninth. You know, whoever's due up. And uh, because of that factor with baseball, and because it just takes so much um, more than just a few guys to make it work, um, and it's because it's such a long season and such a grind. It's crazier things happen in baseball than in other sports in that respect that where a team you just did not ex- see coming ends up. And we might have another one of those. A team you don't see coming gets hot at the right time and you know pushes it all the way to the World Series like the Phillies did. So, uh, Manny, you have quite a story. With, you have a, you're a very interesting person in general. Just going by your Twitter bio, 
Um, I'm sorry. And is there anything else baseball related you want to touch? <laughs> no, on? No, no, whatever, okay. whatever you got, man. We'll go wherever you want. <laughs> Just go making with. sure. <laughs> sure. Okay. Sure. So for those who don't know Manny, this is his Twitter bio. X atheist. God is spelled with a capital G. Second Corinthians five twenty one. Baseball writer slash Statcast slash or at MLB.com. I've had two heart surgeries. Ask me about the second one. Where do we begin with this, Manny? <laughs> um, you know, we can begin, you know, anywhere at really uh, at with with all that because, um, you know, ex atheist. We'll just start from. Well, I guess we yeah. can start from the beginning. Ex atheist. Yeah. I was a hardcore um, atheist, and I was a guy that, um, you know, I would I would kind of vacillate between atheist and agnostic. Like I would, uh, in either case. I didn't, if they, for me, if there was a God, then he didn't want us to know who he was. That's the way I thought. Uh, and uh, I was raised to, to kind of believe that you only have yourself to rely on. You don't have anybody else and you can't count on anyone to look out for you except you. You know, so look out for number one and just live your life um, pursuing whatever your definition of success is. And, uh, and that all changed on September 9th, 2007. I remember the day um, that I believed. And uh, and it wasn't something I did. It was something that, it, it, you know, it's it's um, it's an alien thing. It's it's something that comes from the outside. It's extra nos, as uh, R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite, uh, the late R.C. Sproul, the late great, one of my favorite uh, Bible teachers um, said once, many times, it's extra nos. It comes from the outside. You don't actually have any merit to yourself you, you we're all in the same boat in terms of when we start where we are all born because of our first parents because of adam and eve and because of their um choice to disobey god they passed that rebellious nature to the rest of us like an infection just like a, you know just like a, like like someone who gets past like a, a deadly disease from their mom because through birth, you know, through the, the birthing process. Like, you know, there are so many poor um, folks in, in, in Central Africa, for example, where the AIDS epidemic is just just horrific that aren't, they're really poor, they're living in poverty already, they aren't able to, you know, people haven't been able to reach them with, you know, the antivirals to get them so that they don't pass along that the HIV to their, to their babies, you know, when, when, they, when a woman has a child. So if that baby's born with HIV or, you know, with the same infection that makes it so that their lifespan is probably going to be very short, is it that baby's fault? Well, not in the sense that the baby, you know, potentially made a choice that resulted in that contracting that disease. But does that make it any less true that he has it? No, he still has it. It's like that with us in sin, right? I mean, we... We are born with a rebellious nature. Psalm 51.5, in sin my mother conceived me. Um, David wrote that. He's like, I was literally conceived, even before I came out of the womb, I was already sin. I already had a sin nature. I already had a desire to rebel against you, even if I didn't know it, speaking to God. And so if, if we have that nature, we're going to sin. We're not all sinners because we sin. We're, we sin because we're already sinners when we come out of the womb. It's just our nature. And we rebel against God. It's not his fault. It's ours. We have, we have contracted that disease, that infection from our first parents. The solution is, you know, um, and we've talked about, you know, we've had great discussions about faith and it's been enjoyable to talk to with you about it. And you know this. And the solution is 
Jesus Christ, um, God Himself, through in the in the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Before the world began, the Father wanted to give the Son a gift of a people, and the Son, in love, in His love of the Father, said, "I'll do I'll do whatever it takes to get that." And He said, "The Father said for our glory." And this is the point of existence, right? This is a drama. All of this, the world, the universe is a drama. And the director of the play is God. And his point is, I am glorious. Now, there's only, you know, I have a lot of experience in my life with narcissism and people who are malignant narcissists and people who, who hurt other people because of what, what they want and that everything is focused on them. There is only one who rightfully deserves all glory and honor and praise. And that is the creator, God. And to prove who he is, he sent his own son, also God, in the flesh to die, to take our place, on, uh, to take our punishment. For those of us who believe in him, our punishment for sin, which is death and hell, is paid for. Why hell? Why hell forever for living 80 years of, or 85 years of a life on earth? Because the more value uh, the thing is that you sin against, the more punishment. If the value of what, what or whom you sin against is infinite, your punishment is infinite. You're in hell forever. Um, and we're all in that boat. We all start there, myself included. And when I was 24, uh, it came, the, the Lord grabbed me out of my, my situation and made me believe. And the only way we can believe is if he does that to us. And he does that to certain people. And it's not because they're special. It's that his, it's his election, it's his choice. And you know, the only thing we can do is ask him for that because if we're asking, that means he may be, he, we may be one of the ones he's chosen to, to move that way and to become believers. And so ex-atheist, uh, that's, that's where it all began for me. And he, you know, we're all born and live a, a, our own different lives and different back, come from different backgrounds. And the Lord saves those he saves in different ways. And each testimony of his salvation and how that happened is glorious in its own way, in the sense that it gives glory to God in a different way. Um, you know, the God is spelled with a capital G. I I hate I hate seeing God with the lower cap, uh, lower G because it's not talking about the God, the true God. Number one, it's not talking about the God of Israel. It's not talking about the God uh, of the universe. It's talking about some other God who is an idol. Um, or it's referring to that true God without respect, with a little g, because you don't want to say, you know, you believe in him. So you want to make sure that you don't give him any 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 honor with a capital G. There's only one God with a capital G. The rest of them are idols. They're fake. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is my favorite verse because it is the gospel in a verse. You know, he made him, so the Father made the Son who knew no sin, he lived a perfect life for us, who knew no sin, to be sin, meaning to take upon himself the punishment, the wrath of God, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in the sense that the righteousness we have, the only way you can go to heaven is if you're perfect. We're not. He gives us his perfection, the 33 years of a perfect life he lived, to give us that righteousness to enter. But we also have to have our sin remitted, our sin, the punishment for our sin paid for and he did that too on the cross so he made him a new no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of god in him through him through him we have his righteousness we can be with the lord forever and glorify him forever which is the whole point and the start the heart surgeries i had a heart surgery 
<clears throat> a real one, not a real one. They're both real, but the like a like a physical one. When I was four, I had open heart surgery because I had a, a hole in the middle wall of my heart. It's congenital, and so uh, and then the second one happened uh, on that day in 2007, where I had a spiritual heart surgery, where my heart was changed. And, and in Ezekiel 36, you know, the Lord says, "I will give you a new heart." A heart of flesh. I will replace. The, I'll take out the heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh. Every person who is awakened to the truth by the Lord is given a new heart to understand it and to love Him um, rather than hate Him, because we're all haters of God when we're born. So, the heart of stone, if you think about it, can't feel anything. It's stone. It doesn't feel. Heart of flesh. You poke it. What happens? You flinch. Well, He puts the heart of flesh in you. Then the Holy Spirit convicts you. It pokes that heart of flesh to make it put it in pain and. And that's how, um, you know, for me, it was in a, a church that I didn't want to be in at the time. And I was there, but I, and I had already known all the, 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 the churchy stuff. I, I knew how to play the, the role of Christian because I had gone to a Christian high school as an unbeliever. My parents just wanted me to go to a, 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 a school that, a high school that didn't, that had only 200 kids, a dress code. They figured they'd be safe from, or, you know, it would shelter me from drugs and alcohol and all this other stuff, gangs. And so I didn't believe it, but I, I had to get A's in all my classes because I had an overbearing malignant narcissist father who made me do that. And so I got A's in Bible too. I knew all the stuff in my head. I didn't believe any of it. And it was eight years later that he removed the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. I started to break down internally. Um, I felt like I was on a nervous breakdown every Sunday for six months in that church. And then I finally started reading the Bible again, and that's when he replaced the heart and gave me a heart to believe. So that's, that's just an explanation of the bio, but it is, um, it has been a, uh, I, I've been blessed beyond measure. And I just, you know, my point whenever I can talk about it is to say, it's not because of anything I did. It's because God decided to make me one of the objects of his love because his love is what is the greatest the greatest demonstration of his love and therefore his glory was Christ dying on the cross and rising again. So obviously you have some amazing stories there and we briefly touched on a little bit of it. You mentioned, I love the way how you talk about having two heart surgeries. I think that's great. How is your, what was your heart like before it was transformed? What was your life like before? And then how have you seen it change since? Yeah, beforehand, and you know, I was, uh, the heart was cold. It was cold and calculating. It was, uh, you know, I, my dad wanted me to be a lawyer, you know, and a politician. So I went to Cal Berkeley. I got my degree in political science. I even started law school for a semester and everything was about getting ahead and everything was about do what it takes to get ahead. Um, and the, my definition of success was whatever my father molded it to be you know, in me and what he um, demanded of me. And, you know, it really truly was a brain a brainwashing because he's basically um, under the threat of violence and even death. It was, you do what I say in everything. Uh, and, and that seeps into your mind as you start to think thoughts that get you to, first of all, help you survive that. And then to get you ahead in terms of what he wants for you. And so, that's where the atheism came from. That's where my um, my whole worldview came from. And uh, since then, uh, I 
first of all, I left my father's house as a young adult um, for the first time. I didn't have the courage to do it until I became a believer. And that's when I, I just I moved out of there and started really a new life, um, temporally as well as eternally. And my my affections changed. Now, I, I didn't view the world in such a cold, callous manner. I, I looked at it as... Um, I look at my old life as a, as if I was sleepwalking through it. Like I was not actually alive in the sense I was not actually awake, but I was going through all the motions of living a life, which is what I believe everyone goes through before they become uh, born again, before they, they're regenerated, before they see the truth, um, because God has shown it to them within their hearts. And that's uh, now everything from then on is about, pleasing him it's not about getting ahead it's not about you know i've the thing about becoming a, a christian a true believer in christ is you're still stuck in your flesh you're still stuck in this and incarcerated in this body that is you have a new inner self because of your new heart but on it, you're still struggling with your flesh and with selfish desires and things like that and it's been a long it's been a long process a lot of health things that i've discovered about myself which have you know, been truly uh, for my body liberating in the sense of like, I am now physically stronger and a new person in the sense of just physically able to, you know, think more clearly. And I uh, just things that I've went through for 30 years that I had no idea what were happening to me physically. So really the Lord has redeemed me eternally, but he's redeeming my life. And I think every single person, every single person who is a believer, it's an individual redemption story and the story is his. You are not your own. There's a scripture that says you are not your own. You were bought with a price, and that was the blood of Christ. It's not gold. It's not silver. It's more, worth infinitely more than that. So live for him. To live as Christ, to die is gain. We don't live now for any longer for our own selfish desires. We live for him, and that's been the biggest difference. How do you go from someone who did not believe in God to a Christian logically? Because I think a lot of people, yeah. I'm certain Good we question. have people listening to this that are kind of like, well, how how could you abandon, like, if you, if you look at some certain science and you say, this is, this can't be real, or this is not what I believe in, and then, oh, now I, now I do believe it. That's a really important question. And the, and for me, when I was going through that kind of time where I thought I was having nervous breakdowns, but only from 10 to 11 on Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, I, I thought, what am I going to do? I can't go to a psychiatrist, you know, the, I can't go to a psychiatrist or whatever. Cause they'd be like, well, it's only happening for one hour a week. Like, you know, what would they do with that? So the only thing I could do is open the Bible. And I, so I dusted off the old King James and I, or not King James, the, the, the NIV Bible that I had, you know, from high school, the paperback that I had. And I started going through it uh, for the first time in eight years. I was looking at this thing and I was thinking, this is the only place I know where to, where to go because it's only happening in church. So I don't know. And then I started trying to logic my way through it. And the problem with lo trying to logic your way through it is the wisdom of man is foolishness to God and the foolishness of God or the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Uh, as the scriptures talk about, mankind is so blinded. We all are so blinded when we begin this life um, by Satan, by our own flesh, uh, by the world system, we're blinded uh, into thinking things that don't actually make sense. For example, 
that the world came from nothing and the universe came from nothing, the Big Bang, it all just kind of showed up one day. Um, what logic does that make? How, how does that make logical sense? Is that more logical than there was? A, there's a creator that we can't understand, that we can't wrap our minds around, who actually created all of this and set all of it, set set the uh, universe going. Uh, I remember our Sproul. We talked about RC uh, Sproul one time spoke with Carl Sagan, the the, the renowned uh, um, astrophysicist. I mean, just a brilliant guy who was re- revered for for his uh, his knowledge of the universe. And he said, "Tell me something." He's like. You, RC was like, you, one of the building blocks of physics is that an object at rest tends to stay at rest unless it is acted upon by an outside force. He said, yeah, yeah, it's very basic, you know, and uh, he said, well, in the Big Bang Theory that you that you hold, what was the outside force that caused everything to explode one day at Tuesday at three o'clock or whatever it was? And just boom, it just everything starts, comes into existence and the answer that Sagan gave RC was very telling, and it, and it speaks to our hearts um, as they are cold when we're born, our stone hearts, which is, he said, I don't want to go there. As in, I don't want to go beyond that. And RC said, you're a scientist. How can you stop exploring? How can you just, you know, you get back to that point, and you, be, you don't want to go beyond that because then what? Well, then the only logical thing, and here's logic, the only logical thing is there's a creator. And we actually can't understand him, you know, fully. And therefore, we're scared to go there because if there's a creator, we are, we are responsible for everything we do in this life. And we have a moral culpability for everything. And we don't want that. Look at, look at Nietzsche, you know, wrote The Death of, of God and, uh, you know, was celebrated in the 19th century. And everybody, you know, was so excited about this idea. Why? Because... Those of us who remain in our original condition, we all start again. We all start there, and nothing that we do ourselves merits. Nothing of our own merit gets us out of that, but just the grace of God. Now, when we're there, though, when we're in our natural state, we want, we hate God. We want to declare the death of God. So they celebrated that, and a lot of those uh, famous, you know, famous uh, philosophers, you know, of history have said have basically said either straight out or implied that I don't want there to be a God and that's why I'm writing this stuff. Um, and so it's really like in the scriptures where it talks about in the Old Testament, the the rulers gathered together against the Holy One of God. Uh, I have I have placed my, I but but the Lord laughs and says, I have placed my ruler on, on Zion. And that's Jesus Christ. The Father laughs because all the, the leaders of the world gather together. In other words, the whole world gathers together against Christ. And we're seeing that. We see that every day in society. Um, there's a reason you could say Jesus Christ and nobody nobody bats an eye. But if you said like Muhammad or you said um, Buddha or something like that, people would get all upset because why are you using their name to, you know, basically to curse or to, to um, using their name in vain. But it's okay with Christ because you got to wonder why that is. It's not because of anything people have done. It's not because of uh, anything in world history. It's because Christ is the truth, as he as he said he was, when he was here. So I think that you know the logic part of it is it's actually more logical to believe in a Creator who set everything going, everything in motion, and created the world, created the universe with a plan, with a with a 
it was his drama and he was going to show his glory through the story of redemption through Christ um, than it is to believe everything came from nothing. And by chance, all the things in the universe that had to, had to happen for us to exist on this planet. Uh, for example, the, the earth at tw- whatever it is, 23 and a half degrees tilt. If it was half a degree either way, we'd either burn up or we would be frozen to death. You're telling me that happened by accident? What are all the, what are the odds? You know, people talk about odds all the time in science. That just doesn't seem plausible. They say, well, are you telling me that that, that does? That, that all of the things that had to happen for, th- think about the capacity of the human mind and all the amazing things that people have produced and done and invented and the progress that, that people have um, produced, you know, whether in medicine or in, uh, you know, any aspect of society and tell me that that was an accident. Tell me that the sunset, rainbows, beautiful scenery, that's why it says in, uh, in, in uh, the scriptures that no one has an excuse because you can see everything out there. You can look, I'm looking out at, at beautiful green trees now because it's springtime, they've got, uh, they've, they, everything's blossoming and I'm looking at that and I'm saying, you know, before I was a believer, I'd say, oh, the hell happened by accident. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even think twice. That, that's, but I, wouldn't also, I also wouldn't think about how illogical that is. How in the world can all of these things happen to create uh, the right conditions for us to live and thrive in the way that, they, that we do as human beings? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I've felt the same way. I mean, I grew up very different from you. I grew up in a Christian house, but neither of my parents came from Christian homes. So my parents, you know, found it very important for us to attend church every week, be involved in uh, Awana and Sunday school and vacation Bible school. And I went to a Christian school for different purpose than you were sent to a Christian school. So I grew up very different than you did. But as I've, I think I know a lot of people that grew up similar to me and as they get older and maybe they're moving out from living with their parents and they're not being raised with the same traditions and they're exploring stuff a little more on their own, maybe they raise some more doubts or questions. I think for me, as I've just gotten older and, and really thought a lot about this stuff is exactly what you're saying. It's easier for me to believe that this didn't happen by accident than it is. It's hard. Like it takes faith in my opinion, to believe that everything we have today just happened by chance as we went from having nothing to everything. doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And and you, you said it, it takes more faith in the terms that were, you know, faith, faith is a gift from God. I have the Ephesians 2, 8, 9 sitting over there for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. God gives the gift of faith. He's the one who initiates everything. He's the one who saves. He created us. He saves us by his own election, by his own choice. Um, and we have no power over that, no control over that, and no merit to, to deserve any of that. But in terms of faith, like take a leap of faith, in terms of the way that the vernacular, the way that we use it in our lexicon and the way that we use it in common speech and general, you know, uh, everyday uh, language, it takes more faith to believe in terms of the logic of, um, uh, it takes more faith to believe that everything came here by accident. Um, given all of the, again, all of the, the, the minute details that would have to be exactly right um, for that theory to hold. In fact, it's impossible. 
all of that, it, all that, that the theory of evolution, um, the theory of uh, theories of uh, you know that every the Big Bang and everything happened by accident. It's really impossible, and you know, you know, when you examine it that way, um, the only the only problem is that in our natural state, we need something to believe that is not God, because we hate God and we don't want God. You know, if we're born that way, it's like we're being born with a disease. We don't want him. It's just how we're made, uh, not how we're made, but how we're born because of our first parents. You know, we were made in the, in the first uh, the first two men uh, people Adam and Eve they were made to worship and love the Lord forever, and to have great, har beautiful harmony with Him in the in a, in a paradise, in the Garden of Eden, and they that was where paradise was lost, as the famous you know uh, phrase goes, uh, because they sinned, and then their choice of sinning led to us being born with the condition of wanting to sin and desiring it by nature. We can't help, help ourselves. So how is it, you know, how is it more plausible that everything happened by accident than the Lord actually created the world um, and we just can't understand him uh, beyond a certain point? And, um, you know, the, again, the, the foolishness of, of God, he was, ha there's a verse in the, in, in the Bible that talks about, he was pleased to make all of this seem foolish to the world, as in unbelievers, as in people who don't believe in this. He was pleased to make it foolishness to them and let them have their own wisdom. Uh, their own wisdom says everything came by accident. We're all just from slime. We're, we're not, we came from nothing. We will go back to nothing. And yet while we're here, we talk about human rights. So every year we talk about all this, you know, equality and, every, and, and worrying about people and, you know, quality of life. Well, why worry about it if we're nothing? If we're just growing up germs, if we're just, you know, if everything we do in terms of law and religion and everything else is just to keep people under control and not and make it make it so people don't kill themselves because it's bad for business, then then why care about human rights? Why care about suffering? Why care about all that stuff if we're just no different than animals? Um, and, and, and in fact, a lot of people treat their animals now better than they treat other people. And mm -hmm. that's just because, uh, again, this is uh blindness of the world of satan satan's real i, I mean if, if if you you know if you look at satan as a cartoon with a pitchfork and the horns that's cuz that th that we can thank the middle east uh, the, the middle ages the people of the middle ages in europe for that they created this uh uh caricature of of the most evil being in the universe Think about your scariest nightmares. Think about think about all the the, the 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 horrific things that people can dream up in their and you know, be Stephen King or Beyond or whatever you know, just the most horrific movies. Beyond all the horrific scenes you've seen, beyond all of that, that's Satan, and we can't even and that doesn't even scratch the surface of his evil and and how horrific he is. And we created uh, in the Middle Ages they created these cartoons because they wanted to make fun of him because they wanted to insult him. And then everybody starts getting this picture of him. That, no, he dre he's dressed in, uh, he, he's dressed as an angel of light. He's here to fool you, and he, he nothing, surely nothing pleases him more than people thinking he doesn't exist. So I'm curious because you touched on some really interesting stuff there. What do you think attracts people to atheism? Uh, their nature. We are by nature. Um, haters of God. So we, des we desire to create a framework in which we can live that life of without God. 
because if there's no God, we get what we want. And I'm including myself, you know, from all the way up until I was 24. This is how I was. I, you know, look out for number one. You are who you are uh, based on what your own desires are for your life and your own desires. And everything is permissible except the things that are against the law because the law is created so that we can have a civilization and we don't want to, you know, we don't do it because we don't do bad things because, because uh, we don't resist bad things because they're wrong. We resist bad things because if we do, we're going to get in trouble and it's bad for business. It's bad for society. It's bad. We can't, we can't have land ownership. We're looking over our shoulder for someone's going to murder us for our land. We can't have a civil society. So, you know, when you really go back to it, the nihilist thinks that everything is, uh, based on what's best for business and that's the only reason we have societies like we do in the west where we can live comfortably and not worry about crime uh, you know necessarily and people you know unless people are willing to break the law and pay for it well the legal code originated some, you know and governments are in place because of god there is a source of authority and there is a source of laws and there's a source of moral absolutes yes and no and that's why we're we're living in uh, a post postmodern time now where we think that not only do we think that the truth is relative, uh, not only do we think that there is no one truth, um, but we think that really there is no truth, that everything is permissible and everyone can do whatever they want, be whatever they want, act however they want without a consequence, even though the consequence is deferred until you die, but it's there, it's going to happen. And uh, you know, I, I was, again, I was this guy, I was this exact person. I thought everything, I thought religion was, uh, um, an opiate for the masses. I thought it was just to keep everybody under control because this is a miserable life. We all live and it's, there's nothing there. I wasn't complete nihilist and we make of it what we will for the 80 or 85 years we're here. And then we disappear from existence and it's just not true. It's not a fact. And it actually takes more, again, we go back to that, it takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe in a creator who started all of this. If there's a if there's a ceiling, a glass ceiling past which our brains can't go, that makes sense. It makes more sense than creating something from our own limited minds as human beings to justify our own behavior because we don't want there to be a God. And atheism is the, the, the pinnacle of that. So... Going back to something else you said, Adam and Eve, they ate the forbidden fruit because they wanted to be like God. So yeah. ultimately what it comes down to Absolutely is right. wanting to be God. We all want to be God. And we all are God. If we are atheists, we're our own God. You know, uh, Sproul wrote a book and, and, and MacArthur, John MacArthur, my favorite pastor of all of them, he, he said this many times that we're all theologians. If you're an atheist, you're a theologian. Your theory, your 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 theory of God is there is none. But the problem is, is that that makes you God, right? That makes you the the arbiter of everything. And if you're the arbiter of everything, and you look and you say that there's another person over there that's the arbiter of everything, this is a problem because that's where conflict happens. Why? Do you, uh, that's part of the reason why you have so much conflict in the world. You know, it's like, you know, I have a deck out here. I'm on the second floor. I have a deck out here. There, there are all, there, there's only one truth when it comes to the physical realities of the world. As soon as you enter religion, as soon as you enter uh, unseen things, the faith, the, the things that, that you can't see, anyone who, you know, you can't see God, anyone who would see God would die on the spot. 
as soon as you enter that realm, everyone says everything's relative. There's no one truth. If I walk out on this deck and I jump because I think my truth is I can fly, I'm going to be splattered all over the pavement. That's what's going to happen. Regardless of what, what my truth is, there's only one truth, and that is gravity. Uh, if I go out in the middle of the street and there's a semi coming my way, my truth says that's an illusion. There's no semi there. I'm going to get killed. That's because that's a fact. If people start treating and not start, they have for forever, forever, that my truth is that there is no God or my truth is that there is a God, but he's not that. Or if my truth is that that I am God um, and you recognize that you're God, uh, or that you think that about yourself, then you are playing with your eternal soul. You're rolling the dice that every that that the, that the things that this obscure carpenter from Nazareth, the most the most repudiated town, one of the most repudiated places in Israel at that time when he was alive, to the point where one of his disciples said before he started following him, "Does anything good ever come from Nazareth?" Carpenter, poor no place to live, itinerant, would just move around everywhere, live for 33 years, and we're still talking about him today. There's real power there. And there's a church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it, as Christ said. And if we continue to deny that because of our own selfish desires, um, we are gambling on our eternal destiny. And you made mention of your father a little bit, but you didn't go into much detail. Uh, tell me a little bit about your upbringing and how that played. Because you've told me about it privately, but yeah. I'm sure the listeners would find it very interesting as it's a very big part of your journey. Yeah, for sure. Um, my dad, um, uh, he was born in poverty. It really starts where he started. And he was born in poverty in India, uh, northwest India, near Pakistan, near the Pakistan border. Uh, his dad was an opioid addict, d just abandoned the family. So he had to take up, he was, he was 11 at the time, I think. And he had to take up the family farming and try to feed his family. Um, it didn't turn out well. He went to the, uh, the Indian army at, as soon as he turned 18, because he thought that would be a better life and he could send back whatever little money he earned from that. Um, eventually came to the United States in 1980, um, arranged marriage with my mom who had just come into the US from India just you know just a few years before abusive from day one um, he would abuse my mother physically and emotionally I have a younger brother he would abuse us uh, emotionally and threaten physical violence at every turn he threatened to kill us um, I remember one specific night where he was just uh, he was just he's an alcoholic but this was a night where he was just off the rails and we were actually driving home from somewhere and he was punching my mom as she's driving the car and he's saying, and he, he was so enraged and he, he turned around and my brother and I, I think I was probably eight or nine and my brother was five or six. He said, this is, I'll never forget. This is your last night on earth. I'm killing you all tonight when we get home. And, um, and he had a revolver at home. So it's like, you know, we could do this and thank, thank God he, as he started sobering up, we tried to talk him down, you know, like, I don't know what we said. We were nine and six or whatever. I don't know what we said. But, um, and he didn't come, he didn't deliver on that threat, but the gun was there in his room. He could have done it. And he always used the threat of that, that mortal fear with us. Um, and really now that I've, I've studied it after the fact, I see that he is a malignant narcissist, which is, um, 
you know, they think that there's about 1% of people in the world are malignant narcissists. Uh, Donald Trump is, is probably the most famous example of a person who exhibits malignant narcissism and those symptoms. Again, it's not a diagnosis. It's something that you observe and you can only kind of see from the outside. And, you know, again, I'm not a psychiatrist, but if the symptoms are egomania, um, you'll do anything to get ahead, even hurt other people to get ahead. Um, you, everything's always about you. You don't, you really don't care what you're saying. You don't think that there are any consequences to your actions. There's just all antisocial personalities or all kinds of stuff that go into it. But he's one. Um, my dad was that. He just didn't have that kind of money. He didn't have that kind of platform. But he had uh, delusional um, uh, delusions of grandeur. That's a big one. Um, he wanted me to be president. He wanted my brother to be a general. My brother went to the Air Force because of my dad. You know, and my brother is still in the Air Force now. He's a captain. And it, it, so he was an overbearing, destructive force in my life. And um, he got into um, legal trouble. And it, within a week of me becoming a believer back in 07, he went to prison. He's turned himself into prison. And that destructive force was removed from my life. Again, the providence of God is an amazing and beautiful thing. And if you think all these things are just accidents, um, you got to check, check, check on how you look at life. Because, um, you know, the, fact, the idea that anything happens by accident there's no rogue molecule out there. Not one thing is outside the purview of God and outside of his sovereignty and control. And uh, so that's when everything started changing, obviously, when I became a believer and I, and I, uh, I left his, his household and uh, really started a new life. My mom, too. My mom, you know, at that, during that time, she was such a devout believer in Sikhism, which is the, uh, the religion that came out of, it's kind of an amalgamism of Hindu and Muslim uh, beliefs out of India and very recent. I mean, it was only about 500 years old or whatever. Um, but uh, it, it, she was so dedicated that she had her own holy room that she considered holy, that she had a, her own, the, 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 the Sikh um, holy text that she believed was holy and all the pictures of the 10 gurus on the wall. And I just, you know, when I became a Christian, I gave her my Bible and I just bookmarked it at the New Testament. I said, this is, I don't know if you'll read this, but this has really helped me. That's all I said to her and I gave it to her. And over the next six months, you know, I didn't say a word really to her, but I noticed that things started coming down off the wall in her room. Like there was no more pictures of eventually of the gurus. And then one day the room was empty of everything, the book, everything. And shortly after that, she came to me. I was sitting at the dinner table and this is during when my, my dad's in prison. And uh, she said, how do I follow Jesus Christ? And um, we prayed then. And, and ever since then, you know, I get a text every day from her, a Bible verse. And uh, she's, I take no more. I, I take more pleasure in seeing the what God has done in her life than anybody I know because of how far to the other side she was. She was an atheist, but she was into a. She was just a devout, devoted uh, follower of another religion, and she came out from that. And she is just, and you can see, you see fruit in people's lives when they become a believer. You see the difference. You see the change. That's the biggest um, proof of a, of a, believer, a true believer is a changed life. And uh, my mom, I, I love seeing what's happened and continues to happen with her. And so that's kind of where it all started, though, with my dad. And what's funny is my dad is the one who forced me to go to that church where I was because uh, he was in politics. Like he wanted he's had those delusions of grandeur and he wanted to be, you know, a mayor of the town, city councilman and all that. And part of that, I think, in his mind was, you know, you know you're kissing the babies, going to church and all that stuff. And. Uh, it's funny because he's the one who dragged me to Little League when I didn't want to play because I was a shy kid. I was anti, I, mean, just, I just did not like social situations. I was very shy. 
Um, and I was kind of a weakling. I was just not, and he dragged me into literally cause he wanted me to be American. You know, he wanted us to, to, to assimilate in American society, him being from India. And it's, it's, it's a testament to the power of God that this destructive force in my life is the one that forced me into baseball and to church. And yet he remains an atheist to this day, as far as I know. Uh, and he is the one who the God used and moved to push me into something that ended up becoming a career baseball. And, uh, and also the most important thing, which is I went to church and the Lord used all of that. You know, my dad doesn't had it, didn't have any hand in it. My God is sovereign. He moves people as he wants. And he moved him to take me there to, um, give me new life eternally. And even in this life, a new life. And that, and that's, it just, it blows my mind it really does. That's amazing. I mean, that's just such a, an amazing, just crazy, radical story that you have. And I'm so glad that you're so open about sharing it, and especially here on this show. And But also, I mean, you, you got on your Twitter, and you've, you've shared it in other places as well. And I just think it's, it's awesome to hear. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's not, you know, again, it goes back to no merit on my part. You know, I'm just, I'm just somebody that God plucked from, you know, a burning building, you know, and uh, take, took out of that and rescued. And, you know, I'm telling, I, I'm only telling it because, um, you know, I've had to deal, I've had to do a lot of, uh, um, like I said, research into what my dad, you know, why my dad was the way he was and, um, and, and, and just had to go through a lot of process, a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of, um, my dad, my dad, dad never showed love, you know, to me or my brother, um, never said, I love you one time that I can remember. Um, and that's hard for, especially for a boy, like you and your dad, you know, it's like, you know, it's just the father is, and the father son relationship is supposed to be something particularly special. And it wasn't for us. So, you know, there's a lot of pain to, to, and, and, and to watch the scenes of my mother being hurt and all that stuff, like a lot of stuff, threats of death that I had to work through, but all of that is for the glory of God. You know, Jesus said one time, somebody asked him, uh, while he was here on earth, he asked him like, what, what did this man or his parents do to cause him to be a paralytic? I think it was a paralytic or blind or something like, I think it's probably paralytic, but whatever it was, Jesus said, neither. It's not what they did. It's not what their parents did. It's not what he did. They're all, you know, everyone's sinful as they're born. It's not, they didn't sin worse than anybody else. It's for the glory of God because I'm about to heal him. And the healing wasn't primarily to heal him. It was primarily to show the power of God to prove that this is God on earth and to show that it's for God's glory that everything happens. And so my story is for his glory and that's why I need to tell it. And I think that it's, a, it's, it's really a responsibility that if he's done such amazing things in my life, it's the least I can do is to tell other people, here's what he did and he's real. And uh, you know, that the best thing is when I get questions either on Twitter or DM or, or whatever that, why do you believe this stuff? Like, like you're, you know, you're very well educated. You agree from Berkeley. You're, a master's degree from Indiana, you're a sports journalist, you're, you've done this and that. And I'm like, cause it's true. And because I could not believe it apart from God showing it to me. And now he's, he's, he's mandated to those who ha he has shown to show it, to tell other people so he can show it to the, so that, because he's chosen that as the method of bringing other people to himself. And I mean, I have to think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I have to think growing up the way you did with, your father and then having the love of god the father that yeah. fill a hole that you had in your heart like as a part of that transformation of heart absolutely absolutely um 
he has demonstrated um, his love. And if you look at, if you, I don't know how many times the word father is mentioned in, in, in scriptures, but it's got to be hundreds, um, referring to God as our father. Um, there's even a verse saying, your earthly fathers did the best they could based on what they thought they should do in raising you. But, um, you know, the, the, the heavenly father is perfect. And he does everything exactly the way it's, he's created fatherhood, you know, and fatherhood is such an important part societally. Um, if you look at, I think, more than 80% of probably incarcerated people either didn't have a father or had an abusive father, or, you know, single parent household, whatever. Um, father, you know, one thing Satan has attacked uh, in God's ordinances is fatherhood. He has attacked because if you can attack fatherhood and you can break up families, you can destroy families, then that trickles down to the next generation and creates a cycle. And that cycle continues to go down and down and down and destroy society and destroy God's um, design, you know, for uh, or the implementation of it. And God allows it. He's allowed Satan to do it because all of this is going to allow, uh, is going to make for his glory in the end. And he's God's devil. And people can't wrap their heads around that because they're like, why would God allow evil? God, God allows evil because it's going to be, bring glory to him when he destroys it and redeems his people. And that's what it is. So um, the fatherhood of God is such a massive thing and it's such a central part of scripture in, in, in describing how God relates to his people. All right, a couple more things and then we're going to wrap things up. Number one, uh, you mentioned you remember the exact day when it all changed. I have yeah. a similar thing for me, my spiritual birthday, uh, May eleventh, two thousand eleven. Um, yours was in two thousand seven. What, like, what was that experience? So, um, for those six months where I was having this uh, crazy, what I felt like was a nervous breakdown, but only an hour every Sunday when I was in church. Hmm. Um, it happened for six months. Like we would go back there every Sunday and it happened. And I just didn't know. To, I was scared, honestly, because I, I never, I took pride in understanding where my thoughts originate and where they end from point A to point B in my brain. And this was an alien thing that was attack. That was it. Yeah. I guess it was kind of attacking me in the sense of it was going to capture me and it did. And, and, and but it, in the process, when I started reading the scriptures, I, tr I went in with the motive of trying to logic my way through. Could God have become a man, really, and died for my sins? And, you know, thinking back to it now, I was like, how could I not believe it? But w when I didn't believe it and I tried to logic my way through, God was then – see, now I, I look back and I know what was happening. The nervous breakdown feeling was a conviction of my sin. He was, he was making me remorseful, meaning he took, that was a process in which the stony heart was taken out. That was my second heart surgery. That It took six months. But the stony heart taken out, the heart of flesh was put in. And then when he poked it, I was having that feel, those, those terrible feelings. That was a conviction that I am a sinful man. I'm a sinner. I, I was born this way, and I just didn't know it until now. And now that I have this new heart that feels things, a heart of flesh instead of a stone as a heart, I am acknowledging that because now that's how God, the Father, because the process of salvation is the Father using the Holy Spirit, through the, through the uh, help of the Holy Spirit, who is also God, what he does is he convicts you of your sin, and the Father in that process is bringing you to his Son, who died on the cross for you if you are going to be a believer. 
everyone's a is a believer their names are already in the book of life written in the book of life that's something that has been predetermined but we don't know because you don't have people walking around with an e on their forehead stamped on their forehead saying that these this is one of the elect this is one of the people who will believe one day that's why we preach the gospel to everyone to so preach the gospel to all creatures to the whole world and um so the 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 day that it happened was very interesting because again god showing his mighty power through utilizing whoever and whenever he wanted to use that person joel osteen was on tv hmm. and joel osteen i completely repudiate joel osteen and whatever everything he stands for that guy's a false prophet false teacher he is a he is a uh he has done he's leading more people down uh the 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 wide gate of destruction than anyone uh, most everyone, you know, and that I, I've seen because of his following. But he was on there at the moment I was flipping through the channels on that day. And he was the only time he mentions Jesus is like at the end where he says, and that's probably just to get people off his back, you know, who say, you never talk about Jesus. You always talk about, you know, that, you know, you talk about God loves you and this and that, but you never talk about sin. You never talk about salvation. You never talk about, you know, the, the key issues of uh, redemption. And he does at the end say, if you don't know the Lord, say this prayer. And I, and I prayed that at that moment. And that was the moment where it ended. That whole process ended. I was a believer. I was born again. That was the moment. And um, it was around the three o'clock hour of, you know, September 9, 2007. So, you know, I've been, I've been truly alive for 15 and a half years, um, not 39. And the, the other 24, like I said, I was sleepwalking. But again, all for the glory of God, you know, because now I can tell the story. Amen. So, I mean, there's so much that I feel like we'll have to talk. We'll have to have you on again sometime yeah, soon. Time. Talk some ball, talk some more faith. Um, Absolutely. I'm certain we'll do it again soon. But the last thing I want to, I just want to ask you is you've been so great with sharing your story. And there's a lot that I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening to this who, you know, maybe they are an atheist or maybe they don't know what they believe in, or maybe they're questioning some stuff. And I don't know where you're at if you're listening to this. I really don't. But my question to you, Manny, is if someone's hearing something that you're saying and is like, wow, this is this is really interesting. I'd like to kind of go deeper on this. What would what would you say to them? How would you encourage them to go deeper? I love that question. I would get my hands on a Bible as soon as possible. Um, and and read. I would suggest the uh, John MacArthur Study Bible because the notes and the and the commentary are so great in terms of um, filling in context and everything else. But I would get a Bible and I would start reading it. And you know, when I pray, the first time I ever prayed, I think I prayed to the God I didn't, you know, the God I didn't believe in. I just like close my eyes if you're there, you know. And the only thing you can do is pray to the real God and say, "Please make me born again. Please make me regenerated. Please." open my eyes to the truth and read the scriptures. If you, if, if you, if, if you are going to believe, you're going to believe he'll get you, you know, there, there's no doubt it's irresistible. The grace is irresistible. Nobody can resist it if it's coming. And if you're one of the, the people that it's coming to, then the only way to do it is to just ask, you know, and ask. And because if you're asking with true, a true sincere heart, that means the Lord is doing that process already. He's bringing you to his son. And uh, actually, the Greek word for, for that's used in uh, in the scriptures that when he, when the Lord says no one comes, Jesus said no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Well, the word for draw is actually the same word used in Acts 
where Paul, the apostle, is dragged through the streets because of what he's preaching. And so it's really, it means drag. You're being dragged out of darkness and into light. You're not coming on your own. But in the process, your heart has changed so that you, you can love the Lord and your heart is a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. So get your hands on a Bible. Um, if you have, I mean, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, you know, I'm not, I'm not ordained. I mean, I'm not, I don't have a master's in divinity or anything, but I, but if you have any questions, you know, I'm Manny on MLB on Twitter, just DM me, you know, my DMs are open. Um, ask me a question. I would love to, to, you know, send you some resources that way. Um, I would check out Ligonier Ministries, L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R. It's a really good resource for um, sound doctrine. Uh, Grace to You by John MacArthur, just the best. And um, so th- those are some resources. But if you want more, just, you know, just send me a DM um, at Manny on MLB. All right. He's Manny Randawa. He absolutely crushed it today. It was great having him on here. He's at Manny on MLB. Is there anything else you'd like to plug or promote while you're here? You also have a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's secondary. I mean, that's that's just not even on the same uh, <laughs> right. wavelength, right? But nevertheless, yeah, I did I did write a book, Blake Street Bombers. You know, if you're interested in the 90s Rockies, um, you know, Walker, Galarraga, Bichette, Burks, Castilla, uh, wrote a definitive kind of biography of all of them. And that's um, on Amazon. So just type, you know, go to Amazon, type Blake Street Bombers. It'll be the first thing that comes up. And thanks well, Manny, for that. Yeah, good plug. Manny, thank you very much for joining us today. This is great. You bet, Jack. This is fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Looking forward to the next time. All right, y'all. That concludes our conversation today with Manny Randawa. I hope you stuck around for the whole conversation. It's one of my favorites that we've had on this show. It's really cool to combine our loves for baseball with our love for Jesus and to just talk about it and hear his incredible life story. So I hope you guys all enjoyed that. If you're watching us here on YouTube, please hit subscribe and make sure you turn on notifications whenever there's new content available. Follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Jack Vita Show. And then subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast. We'll be back next week talking some more baseball with Jim Callis. And then later in the week, we'll have a fun episode dropping with a former Survivor contestant. We'll probably talk some faith in that episode as well. So until next week, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dancing lobsters. 